Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. In this message, we kick off our study of Romans and Empires, Volume 2. Have you ever had doubts if you are truly saved? What does it mean to be saved and how can you be secure in your salvation? This week, Andy talks about what it means to have faith in Jesus and how we can walk securely in our relationship with Christ. Enjoy the message. This is Empires Volume 2, and no worries if you weren't with us with Empires Volume 1, all that is online, and you don't need that to jump right in where we're going to get. We're going to catch you right up today, and we're going to go 100 miles an hour into it. And so this is going to be something I believe is going to encourage our church, and I think is really, really timely from where we are at as a church, but also as we face what's going on in culture. Um, So again, if you've missed any of our volume one, you can find that on our app on our website, kenosha.church. I just want to say hello, everybody, on kenosha.church as well, too. We're happy that you're with us and joining us with our brand new series. Now, Empire is volume two, a study of the book of Romans. Romans is such an important book in the Bible. I mean, they all are, right? But when you come to uh, impact, people reference Romans because it's so clear on how to be made right with God and how to live in Uh, honoring lives to Christ as Christ's followers. In fact, movements around the world, around the empires, uh, have changed because of people's readings of the book of Romans. In fact, uh, Augustine, after reading the letter to Romans, uh, he said all his doubts were dispelled. Martin Luther, who was a monk who thought that he could get right with God if he entered the monastery, could not shake the feeling that he was alienated from God. But when he read Romans, he read and understood the clear gospel, and he called Romans for him the gateway to heaven. In fact, even to the founding of our nation, many of the revivals, uh, the book of Romans played a very key uh, in the revivals of the first and second great awakenings. And know it or not, each week I give the gospel here to Manuel. If you invite somebody, they're going to hear the gospel. Uh, it's important for followers of Christ that we hear the gospel. We cherish the gospel, that we, that we worship Jesus in light of the gospel. If we forget the gospel, we forget the mission and who we are in Christ. Uh, But when I give the gospel, whether you know it or not, I often quote passages from Romans. So literally, hundreds of people over the course of the years have placed their faith and trust in Jesus because of verses that I spoke from Romans. Now, uh, Rome was the hub uh, of the Roman Empire, and it was one of which Christians, they faced immense persecution. Uh, It was intense. But Paul's main focus in the letter to Romans was to talk to a church he had not yet met. He was going to pass through Rome in hopes to get to Spain. And he had heard that there were people from all different backgrounds in Rome and there was some friction. Now, contrary to what modern interpreters say is that their friction is because they came from different backgrounds. And that's not what Paul's intent was. Paul saw the theological differences. Because if there's theological differences, that means there's going to be competing ideas or priorities of what people think God is all about. And so Paul wants to bring the church, of which are many people that came out of Judaism, and then people that were Gentiles, that came out of paganism, he wanted them to be on the same page of what biblical truth is all about. And so uh, many of the people that came from, uh, from Judaism, uh, they came in with their laws, their festivals, their, uh, their, their different ways of observances. And many of them wanted to place these ideas on Christians, on, on Gentiles, people who were never Jewish. 
And Paul said, no, he wasn't having any of that. He was, he was opposing this legalism. And just as much as he was opposing the legalism of, of the Jewish people, he was also opposing the paganism from the Roman world. Culture is always pushing and knocking at the door of the church. And if we are not on the same page the, uh, theologically, I can tell you, you are going to be led culturally instead of biblically. So Paul is trying to make peace with these factions, but make no mistake, this was not peace where he pulled out his guitar and said, kumbaya, my Lord, we're all one, we're all one. Everybody wave your flags, we're all one, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying to ignore truth, but rather let's surround ourselves and agree on biblical truth that brings real peace. So theology matters. I mean, have you heard of that phrase before where someone says, theology doesn't matter, right? Doctrine doesn't matter. We've probably heard of that, right? And the thing is, that can't be furthest from the truth. Theology does matter. Uh, theology means the study of God. So make no mistake, your theology will always inform your practice. So your theology, or for some, your lack of theology. At Emmanuel, one of our core values, in fact, our first core value, is we take God at his word. Why? Because we do not want to go about church or understandings of who God is by our own understanding. We want to be informed by his revelation. So we take God at his word, and we also want people, though, not to just to be filled with knowledge. I believe the reason why people bought into the lie that theology doesn't matter is because some people think knowing theology is all there is. Well, it's not. Uh, you're not just to know things, you're to live these things out. Back to saying uh, from our friend Mike Pelvacci, he says, if all we have is knowledge, we puff up. But on the other end, if all we have is the spirit of God and no knowledge, we blow up. And so what are we to do? Well, a manual and something that we, we approach God's word each and every week is we want to go deep into God's word. We believe that whether this is your first day at church or you've been with us for weeks, months, or years, is we believe that we can unpack the word of God and can understand it. He wrote this not so that you have to be a scholar. He wrote this so that you can be a student and listen to, and listen to his voice. And so we want to go deep into his word, but we don't want to just know it. We want to apply it. We want to walk in his word in obedience and we want to make massive amount of space for the Holy Spirit to empower us, to speak to us, to do what only he can do. Amen, church? So we want to be a church of spirit and truth. Sometimes you may have been in church, it's all about spirit. Sometimes you might have been all in a church, it's all about truth. Uh, and sometimes they go back and forth. We want to be both. Without both wings, your plane crashes. So Paul warned the church that a lack of biblical understanding and obedience will lead to disaster. In fact, he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he said this, And because they did not think worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a contempt, corrupt mind so that they did not do what was right. Romans 1, 32, he goes on, And although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, that means sin leads to death, that not only do they do them, but even applaud others who practice them. And so we see that if you do not have a biblical theology that's leading you and the Holy Spirit to empower you to, to live a life of obedience, what's going to happen is you're going to start living for yourself, being driven by culture, and not only do you know these things are wrong, but you're going to applaud people. Come on, do it, do it, do it. Come on, why aren't you doing this? And so the overview of our first part of Romans in Empires Volume 1 was the wrath of God. Why? Because those who walk away from the truth of God, and every single one of us have walked away from the truth of God, deserve the wrath of God. And so that was a really hard section. Some of you, after volume one, you're like, whew, okay, this is, this is heavy. Yes, it was. It was. Romans 1.18 says this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness 
of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So not only uh, does sin beckon the wrath of God, but when we choose to live life apart from God's truth, we suppress his truth. Do we see this in culture today? When you walk away from the things of the Lord, people are applauding those things, and they're constantly suppressing what is actually true, calling what is bad good and what's good is bad. Do we see that? Do you see that? Yes, we do. And so the overview of our first part was the wrath of God, but I have good news for you. This next part, volume two, is about the grace of God. Without a remedy, we are lost in our sins. We cannot find morality in ourselves. We cannot prove our goodness to be right with God. And God's punishment results because of our sin. And without a remedy, we'll be the recipients of his wrath. But guess what? There is grace. This is the beautiful news that we get to talk about in this portion of this series. So today, as we kick off volume two, we're going to ask the question, where does faith begin? Where does it start? Because if you, don't, if you don't have this figured out, like maybe for some of you, you knew when it started because it's when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. But maybe for some of you, whether you had a moment or whether this is your first time in church, you've questioned where you're at with God. Maybe there's been a time that you've questioned your salvation or you've been confused in the role of where faith was in your life. Well, today we're gonna tackle what it means to have faith and what it means for grace to cover every sin in your life and how you're kept by the gospel. Now, when I think of someone who struggles with their faith, or they did, knowing who, if they were right with God or not, it was my grandma, my grandma McGowan. Uh, she was the spiritual matriarch of our family. She grew up in a large family, uh, a, a very tough home. Uh, she dropped out of school, she never finished. Uh, she married uh, my grandpa during World War II. My grandpa was a great man. But in, early in their marriage, tragedy hit. Uh, their firstborn child, Elena, uh, was born still. It was a stillbirth. And my grandma had already suffered immense depression growing up, and this fueled her depression even further. After giving birth to my uncle and to my dad, uh, she, wanted, she had so many questions about the meaning of life. And luckily, during this time, Billy Graham came to town, and two of my grandma's sisters went to hear Billy Graham they placed their faith and trust in Jesus at that crusade, and they came back and told my grandma about Jesus. That's what it should be, right? If we have the message of hope, we should, eat, we should share it freely, right? And that's exactly what they did to my grandma, and it was the answers that she needed to hear in that moment. And she placed her faith and trust in Jesus. She started sharing it with her children, and it changed the trajectory of the McGowans. For the first time in the McGowans' history here in America, we have become Christ followers. But that still didn't shake these nagging doubts she had over the time. And as she got older, uh, the doubts and depression got even worse. And I remember in one of my last conversations with my grandma, I was going through Bible college and I went to go visit her and she was just crying. She goes, she said, Andy, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. There's just no way he can forgive me. And I'm looking at my grandma just dumbfounded. I'm like, I'm here today going to Bible college to become a pastor because you talked about Jesus all the time. But yet, the regrets of the past she grew up on the, she lived on a farm, the regrets on the farm, uh, the, 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 the words, the careless words that maybe she said to somebody, she could never forget it even though Jesus did. And all these regrets piled so high, it eclipsed the view of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. She doubted her salvation to the, to the day she died. But thanks be to God though, today she's in heaven, and she's dancing in heaven, and she's worshiping Jesus at the throne in heaven, and she knows where she stands today. But have you ever had that feeling 
where maybe something happened in life, maybe it's happening right now to where you just, am I, did I really do it right? Did I really get saved? I mean, I believed as a kid, but am I really? You know, I've had those moments myself. Remember in high school, I, I gave my life to Christ early as a kid, but in high school, I began to ponder, like, what's that really mean? Did I really understand? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And all these questions put me in a conundrum, like, did I really believe? Now, sometimes when we have these questions, they will drive us away from God because we're like, we, we freeze. And, but listen, you shouldn't drive yourself away from God when you have these questions. You should drive deeper into the things of God and get these questions answered. And that's exactly what I did. I dove into the things of the Bible. I, dove, I, I started attending my youth group more frequently. I started getting into, later in college, books on apologetics. And it wasn't that I was saved in college. No, I, was, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus as a kid and God kept me. It's that in college I understood why I was saved in a deeper way. So have you? Have you had these moments? Perhaps it was in your past. Perhaps it's right now. Where you're like, God, am I really saved? Here's the deal. If you've asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, if you've placed your full faith and trust in him alone, you only need to ask him once. You only need to ask him once because he'll hold you and he'll keep you. See, faith has nothing to do with how you feel. What you do, what you did, how high you raise your hand, right? Uh, it has nothing to do with, with, with how much you cried when you came to the realization of your sin, right? It has everything to do with what Jesus did. And so some of us will have different reactions. Some of us will be more intellectual when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Some of us will be a, 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 an ugly cry, right? Some of us will even laugh in joy. Why? Because when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we are being rescued. We're being rescued from the wrath of God. So where does faith begin? Where did faith begin in you? If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, where can faith begin for you today? Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, everyone say justified, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Faith begins when you place your faith in Jesus who then justifies you. Where does faith begin? It, you must understand it doesn't begin in you. It begins in what Christ already did for you in receiving what he wants to give you. So here's the main idea this morning. Faith takes away what you deserve. Where does faith begin? It begins in Christ. But what does faith do? It takes away what you otherwise deserve. Faith justifies you. Faith covers you. Faith keeps you. So let's turn to our Bibles in Romans chapter 4. This is what we're going to pick up. And we're going to go systematically through this in the weeks to come. But Romans chapter 4. Let's unpack how faith has taken away what you deserve. And let's hit our first point this morning. So if you're taking notes, our first point this morning is this. Faith in Jesus justifies your sinful heart. Faith in Jesus justifies your sinful heart. Now Paul demonstrates this by looking at one of the most prolific people in all of the Bible, Abraham. So let's take a look. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I encourage you, especially as we're going through a book study, you're going to want to make sure that you have your Bibles ready, whether it's in your Kenosha app or whether it's in... Uh, a physical Bible, and make sure you take notes. God is going to move in you. You're going to not leave this series unchanged. 
but you're going to want to make sure you marinate on this throughout the week. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham. Now, a religious person, maybe you have felt this as well from your religious background, that if you do the right things and somehow God's going to say, you're okay, you're in, right? Uh, maybe it's the accumulation of, of following the rules or good works. You just, I think I'm going to be okay with God. But the Bible doesn't say that you can just think. The Bible says you can know. And it has nothing to do with your works. There's no greater doctrine that Satan wants to attack this morning, and that is the doctrine on salvation. He wants to attack salvation because he wants us to believe that we have something to do with it. That, that somehow our performance is going to earn God's favor to where he say, yeah, you can come in. Every world religion says to be right with God, it's by works. There are even churches under the umbrella of Christianity that say that it's by works. There are people in church this morning or watching online somewhere in the United States at a various church where it's under the umbrella of Christianity and they are hearing not the doctrine of, of, of something from the Bible, they're hearing something that is completely other than. If you have to do something to get to heaven, it is not from the Bible, period. Even secular world, uh, they, who doesn't claim Jesus as God, they try to prove they're good by being a good human being, you know, being good in humanity, usually by adhering to the majority cultural moral trends, whatever those are. So being good, to be right with God, was and is the general uh, understanding of a Jewish person today, and, and it was in the scripture. And this constantly uh, seeped in its way into the church, in the early church, it seeps its way into the church today. And that is why Paul is intentionally bringing up Abraham. He was the big one. Uh, it, it brings a practical question. How was Abraham saved? Now, if you were to ask somebody, well, he was saved because he was massively good and did all these good works, and, 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 but no. If he was not saved by good works and he lived in an era before Jesus, how was the big one, Abraham, saved? Well, notice in verse 2 it says, justified. Justified means to render one not guilty of sins committed in all time, past, present, or future. That word justified is a legal word. It's a pronouncement that is once and for all justified. Abraham was justified. The question is, when was he justified? Look back at verse 2. If Abraham was justified, that means declared not guilty, by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. That last part of the sentence is so key. But not before God. Faith in God is what matters, but when we try to justify ourselves, we find ourselves in constant competition with ourselves. If you're a perfectionist, you know what I mean. We find ourselves in constant competition with others. I'm better than them, so I'm going to heaven, right? We look to ourselves as the basis of our salvation and not to Almighty God. And guess what? That doesn't impress God. Verse three, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. We see Abraham's justification occurred not by good works, but when he believed in God. Belief. 
It is a deep term. It, it means that, it, that we are committing our trust upon that person, in this case, Almighty God. You can believe in the wrong things. That's why belief in itself needs to have the right object. The contrast is just knowing about things, by the way. There's a lot of people that know a lot of things about God, or they may even know a lot of things about the Bible or about Jesus, and, but they just know stuff. You can know stuff and not be saved. Knowing something is a minimal ability to recite a set of information, whereas belief is placing your full faith and trust in Jesus. Real faith will result in right action, but don't think that your right actions are going to result in salvation. It's the other way around. Good works are good, but they only matter when we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus first. So let's look back again at Abraham when he was saved. This actually comes from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, known as Abram and Sarai, were very old uh, in their age, and God appeared to Abraham and he said, hey, guess what? You're going to be parents. Congratulations. And they're looking at each other and they're like, we're 90 years old. I mean, listen, we're thinking about getting a condo on the beach, all right? Uh, and listen, we've been praying for kids. Well, that train is out of the station, right? In fact, it's awesome. When, when he told, the Bible says when he told Sarah, she just laughed, right? She wasn't like, oh, yes. She's like, oh, no way. You're kidding me, right? No, he wasn't kidding. God was going to choose Abraham in the most extraordinary circumstances to birth a nation through him. To birth a nation of which we call Israel. God's chosen people to show the world who the one true God is. And when the nation of Israel failed to do this, to prepare people for the coming Messiah, that is Jesus, God threw Israel into a 2,600-year exile that only ended in 1948. And he has now and then used the church to be the heralds of the gospel. To bring forth the gospel. Our responsibility, church, is to bring good news. I hear people make excuses or they get negative on how to do it. And I'm saying, let's not end up like Israel. Where we go into exile for a long time. Because he can send local churches, he can send nations into exile if we choose not to do the mission of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel Kenosha Church, I will not entertain any longer any conversation of why evangelism is optional. It is not. It's not my idea. Don't get mad at me. Talk to the Savior. It's his idea. And you know what, Emmanuel? I say that to you today knowing that we're a church that believes that. We believe that. And I believe our best days are ahead as we reach Kenosha. But Israel wasn't reaching the world. They were thrown into exile. And now the church has been the messengers. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but an everlasting life. What this means is this. This isn't a message just for the Jewish people, God's chosen people. This is now a message given to the entire world. For anyone and everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus. Israel's been temporarily cut off, but there will be a day when there's revival in Israel. God is not done with Israel. Did you hear that? He is not done with Israel. They are still his chosen people. And there will be many people that come out of Israel in the future, and I pray the near future, that will proclaim Jesus in mass. This isn't speculation. 
This is prophesied by Paul himself later on in Romans. We'll do a whole session on this, but let me just give you, let me let, wet the appetite a little bit. Is that okay? Romans chapter 11, verse 1, he says this, I asked them, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of, there it is, there's a big one, Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. You see, the reason why the Christian church, it may seem confusing if you're new to the church, why we have a particular interest in Israel is because God is not done with Israel. It's going to be the epicenter, the stage of which all of the world is going to end, according to Revelation. It's the stage of which we're going to see God move in his second coming. So you better believe that we are interested in Israel. Right, church? Romans eleven twenty five 25 says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. He's speaking to the church here, Paul is. Brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What he's saying is that fullness of number of the Gentiles to be saved. And only God knows, only Jesus knows how many people are going to be saved, right? Uh, but when that full number comes in, guess what happens? Boom, he's going to move in Israel and there's going to be revival in Israel. Verse 26, in this way all of Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come in from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Therefore, church, we need to pray for Israel this morning, right? I mean, who would have known that when I was going to give this message this morning that there would be what we're seeing was happening in Israel this morning? We need to pray that they would come to know Jesus. We need to stand with the people of Israel. That doesn't mean that we need to know and become experts at their politics or know the inner workings of their government. That, that's not what I'm getting at. But we need to stand with them as a nation no matter what. And we need to denounce when nations call for the annihilation of Israel. To call for the annihilation of Israel, to march against Israel, I believe is to march against Almighty God. I'm being strong here this morning. People are like, wow, you're getting political. I'm not getting political. We just see what's going to happen in the Bible. And sometimes people online put up really silly things against Israel. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. I want to stand on the right side of history. You might be on the right side of your cultural history, but please do not stand at the right, wrong side of the end of history, which we're going to see here in Israel. The Lord is coming, and he has a plan for Israel. Whenever there's wars or rumors of wars in Israel, we must be reminded this is much what it's going to look like at the end of time. Now, I'm not saying that this is the end of time, right? But whenever you see a war or rumor of war in the Middle East, it needs to remind you that you need to be ready. Oh, I'll just get ready later on, or I'll just share with this person later on, or, you know, I'm just going to keep this sin in my life till later on. There may not be a later on. That's what that reminds us. Whenever there's a war that breaks out, it's a reminder. I'm not saying, you know, go get your, your hunker down. No, what I'm saying is get on mission and worship Jesus like you've never worshipped him before. As we pray for Israel, we need to pray for those also in Palestine that they would come to know Christ. We need, God wants, Jesus wants the entire world to hear about him, right? But let me just say this. I'm just going to get blunt because this is a hot topic and it's, and it's Israel. Make no mistake about the Palestinian army. Hamas, they're a terrorist organization funded by Iran. They hide their troops in hospitals, apartment buildings, media buildings, and use children as shields. Do not get taken up by the propaganda that's on Facebook, Instagram against Israel right now. It is a lie. In the end, we need to pray for Israel, pray for the protection, and pray for the salvation for everybody in this world, that this may be a witness and rallying cry 
that we need Jesus. God is going to birth a plan again when Jesus comes back. And as we see in our text this morning, he promised to birth the original plan of Israel through Abraham and Sarah when they were 90 years old. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to them, so your offspring shall be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. Now at that moment, he heard the promise of God that he was going to bless his descendants. But believing the promise is not what saved Abraham. God saved Abraham when he believed in the Lord. Belief results in justification being declared not guilty, and justification results in one's salvation. So Abraham was saved by the future sacrifice of Jesus. Now the Old Testament was not just a, a grounds of where like, okay, I, I'll believe something. They knew a Messiah was coming. In fact, some even had what we're told from Hebrews chapter 11, even visions of the coming Jesus. And so their faith in Jesus was for the Messiah to come. Today, our salvation is the Messiah who's already come. It's the same salvation, just different reference point in history. Does that make sense? Romans 4.4, 4, back to our main text. Now, the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But the one who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Look at verse 4. If you do a job, can you expect to get paid if you've not finished? If you do a job, should you be expected to pay if you did the job? So I'm going to need your help here, all right? If you do a job, should you be expected to be paid if you've been hired and they told you they're going to give you a wage? Yes? Right? Should you, uh, you know, expect to get paid if you don't show up for your job and don't do any of the work? No, okay, all right. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page here, all right? That's gonna come in handy in just a moment. You know, I, uh, I, my, one of my first jobs uh, was a paper boy. I was a paper boy for the Des Moines Register. Any, is there any paper boy, paper girls in this room? All right, all right, right on, right? Awesome, it made me a morning person. Some people are like, I, Andy, you're not a morning person. I heard that someone's like, Andy's a morning person? Actually, I, I tend to be a morning person. I get up at 4.30. Allison knows that I'm out of the bed. I'm talking loud. I'm like, this, this is going to be a great day, right? <laughs> She's like, quiet. <laughs> she burns the wick on the other end, and now I've just learned to burn them on both ends, and I'm told that's not healthy. All right, anyway. <laughs> now, I would always get the papers. Uh, you know, we'd get them in the driveway. We'd build them, and I'd get them to the customers on time. We, we, when it rains, you have to put them in a bag. It just, it was a process. And I still have dreams to this day that I missed neighborhoods, right? And it was crazy. It's like I'm going down the street. I can see the homes. I can, I can know the names still to the homes. It's an awful recurring dream because I wake up just totally panicked. Why? Because I know that if I didn't deliver my newspapers, guess what? I'm not getting paid. And when you're in 8th grade and ninth grade and 10th grade, how are you ever to pay for your bike or even save up for maybe a beater called your first car, right? You can't. So you need to make sure your papers get there in time. And, of course, Dad's like, and save for college. Yes, that too, Dad. I had a friend, though, who he wanted to try something different. He was sick and tired of waking up early in the morning. So you know what he did one morning? He got up. He's like, I'm not doing this. I'm going back to bed. He took all of his papers and threw them in the creek behind his house. Oh, yeah. And he went back to bed. What do you think started happening? His boss started getting phone calls one after another. So his boss, my boss, uh, went to his neighborhood and just started walking around thinking, this doesn't make sense. And he happened to look out of the corner of his eye in the creek. And what did he see in the creek? 
Des Moines Register after Des Moines Register floating down the creek. And he's like, aha, I know where they're at. He confronted my friend. My friend fessed up, and he fired him promptly. Two weeks later, when the paycheck came, his paycheck was lower than what he expected, and he was totally mad. He said, my paycheck's lower. It should be $300, and it's only $175. And so he called up my boss and said, my paycheck is wrong. It should be $300. He goes, well, I'm not going to pay you for the papers you threw in the creek. Actually, I should charge you for those papers. But that's not fair. I always get $300, and it's the end of the month. And even though I'm not working for you, I want the $300. I looked at my friend, completely delusional. But you know what? Our hearts often want something we don't deserve. Our hearts, we live in a I deserve it culture, am I right? I deserve to be front in line. Well, you're going to cut line? I deserve it. I deserve to cut that person off in traffic. I deserve it. I deserve a fifth and sixth and seventh stimulus. I deserve it. I deserve what this person did to me. They had it coming. I deserve it. Oh, we live in a deserving, where we feel like we are deserving culture. And if we don't get what we want, we let everybody know it online. We let all our friends know about it. We let the whole world know about it until we get what we want. If we don't get what we want, we're going to make that person who's not giving what we should, what we should receive, we're going to make their life a holy mess or an unholy mess. Am I right? Have we seen this in culture? Of course we have. Yet we want what we think we deserve. So what is the wage we're owed by God? God, I deserve it. Have we ever prayed that? I know we've thought that, right? I deserve it, God. You want to know what we deserve? I deserve blessing. I deserve my Mercedes Benz. I deserve sneakers that are $1,500. I deserve to be on the Riviera every year. I deserve it all because my life's been hard, Lord. You know the, the fervor of my prayers. You've seen us on Christian TV, haven't you? Right? You want to know what we deserve? Romans 6, 23. For the wages, oh, here it is, there's our wage. The wages of sin is death. Death. We don't deserve the forgiveness of God. We don't deserve the bling-bling from God. We deserve death. We're owed nothing but his wrath. Oh, that's not very popular. Don't preach that. That's, I can't help what the Bible says. I'm just here to tell you. Romans 4, 5, but the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. When you place your faith in Christ, his work on the cross is able to pay for your sin debt, which means faith in Christ justifies you, declares you're not guilty, and when you're not guilty, he credits what he paid for and places it upon you. When you place your faith in Christ, he places his righteousness, he imputes his goodness upon you, and he takes his sin, your sin, excuse me, and places it on himself. You get his righteousness, he takes your sin, he pays for your sin on the cross, the death could not keep Jesus, he rose from the dead, and you know what this means? When we place our faith and trust in Jesus alone, we don't get what we deserve, and that's called grace, church. That's called undeserved favor. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, that would be a bad indictment if there was a period there, but there's not. There's a comma. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. Doesn't that just want you to make you just want to stand up and worship and say, Jesus, I am so thankful. Jesus, I want to give you my praise. I want to give you my worship. I want to give you my honor. Why? Because faith takes away what I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Am I right, church? Am I right? Shouldn't we just praise him right now? Thank you, Jesus, for not giving us what we deserve and that you give us your goodness because you're willing. Faith takes away what you deserve. Faith in Jesus justifies your sinful heart. And the awesome thing about this is if you doubt your salvation or wobble and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, justification isn't temporary because his grace will continue to cover your sinful offenses. So this leads us to our second point. Grace from Jesus covers your sinful offenses. In fact, if you want to make a little addendum, you can put all your sinful offenses. Now think about this. Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. But you know what he did after he believed and placed his faith and trust in the future Jesus? You know, you know what he did? He took God's promises into his own hands. Oh, have we done that before? You know, you hear God say something or, you know, you, you, you think you're owed something. And you say, you know what, God, you're taking too much time. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going into business for myself, God, because I deserve it, right? And that's exactly what happened to Abraham. He realized there's a whole nation that's going to be birthed to him. But it wasn't, he was like 90 years old when he heard it. And he's like on year eight. What in the world's happening here? And his wife goes, I got an idea. What's that? why don't you just go sleep with one of the servants? He's like, you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. And guess what he did, right? Not gonna get into it because this, this is a family service, all right? But what I'm saying is, is that he had a child out of wedlock. His name was Ishmael. His wife consented to his sleeping around. Some of you might say, well, why does it matter? They were consenting. It's in the privacy of their own bedroom. It matters because it didn't honor God. And when you don't honor God, it either means you don't understand the grace of God or you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus to begin with. If you're living in sin and it doesn't bother you, you should fear and tremble. You should, you should look into yourself and say, do I need Jesus? Do I need to place my faith and trust in Jesus? Sin should really hurt your heart because it causes damage. And God cares because sin has ramifications. Today we're witnessing the ramifications of Abraham having a child out of wedlock. His name is Ishmael, and, then he, and when he was 99, God blessed him with Isaac. That was where the blessing was coming from. Ishmael, by the way, is considered the forefather of uh, the Islamic faith. Jewish and Christians, we uphold the promises through Abraham. Do you see the problems that we're having today? Oh, but it didn't matter. Yes, sin matters. When we sin, it matters. But when you have sinned or you wake up from the slumber or the drunkenness of your sin, whatever that is, I want you to know that grace has you covered. Walk in repentance, enjoy the grace God has given you, but honor him through your obedience to him. Romans chapter four, verse six. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never change are never charged with sin. So Paul gives us the example of Abraham that he places faith and trust in the Messiah, right? Into God, into Jesus, future Jesus. And then he does this horrific sin. And then he brings up David. 
David, 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 David. David, King David, King of Israel, he fell into sexual sin too. And this sexual sin, you might think like, oh, big deal, God forgave him. No, it caused the kingdom later to be divided. And then it caused the kingdom to run after idols. And it caused Israel to fall into exile 2,600 years ago. It wasn't until 1948 they, came, they got out of, they, they became a nation again. So David fell into the sin. He was going to try to put it under the rug. And a prophet, Nathan, confronted him. And he, his eyes opened to the sin that he committed. And we see in, in a couple of Psalms, his repentance, Psalm 32 is one of them. And this is the one that Paul uh, quotes here to the Romans. As blessed is a person who our sin, the offense is no longer held against us. What David is saying is when he repented before the Lord, he realized that grace covered all his sins. It doesn't mean the damage trail of the sin is removed. It means that God does not hold that against him. That doesn't mean that we in our life cease to work uh, out our faith. And that means by doing good works for the one who saved us. No, we don't work for the acceptance of the Lord. But listen, we live for the Lord because we love what he did for us. And we love him because he's Savior. We love him because he's Lord. We work out our obedience because we love him. And grace has got you covered on the journey. Faith takes away what we deserve. Faith in Jesus justifies our sinful heart. Grace from Jesus covers our sinful offenses. And finally, number three, the promise of the gospel keeps you from just playing the part. Jesus did not save us for us to stay the same. He saved us from our sins. His grace covers all of our sins. He has us along the way in the journey. But I want you to know this. It is a tragic mess when cultural Christianity thinks they can look like the culture and not look any different from the culture. We need to be different. And it's not different for different sake. It's different because we're following Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Romans 4, 9. Is this the blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? We, for we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? Was he circumcised or uncircumcised? Was it not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised? But he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe who are not circumcised so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. Uh, circumcision, if you don't know what that is, uh, ask the person next to you. Uh, just kidding, all right? But uh, um, uh, circumcision was a sign that every Jewish boy uh, received, and it's still practiced to this day, sometimes just for tradition, uh, but it was practical for a number of reasons. Number one, it, it, it was a very, uh, very visible signature that they were set apart people from God, but secondly, all the other pagan religions were uh, uh, believed in sexual deviancy. They, they had uh, temple prostitutes, and, and uh, sexual ethics were all over the place, and so you can imagine when a Jewish man showed up to one of those things, he would be instantly outed, all right, and he also should be convicted, all right? But this was a very important Jewish rite. Uh, but what Paul is trying to say is Abraham was saved before he received this Jewish rite. And this is so important because today we don't really ask people, have you been circumcised? Well, then you're not saved. That's, that's something that we don't talk about, right? But just replace that with a number of things. Are you in a life group? Uh, oh, you missed church last week. You're unsaved now. Oh, oh uh, uh, I don't know if you didn't read your Bible two times a day. Uh, you're, 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 you're unsaved, right? Or, you know, uh, uh, oh, you haven't been baptized yet. You're not saved. You're, and we, we, oftentimes we try to borrow things to make sure that, okay, if you're saved, you're going to do this. And we got to be 
absolutely careful with that. Why? Because whenever we add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's important that we gather together every week. Yes, it's important that we get in smaller community together. Yes, it's important that we are daily in the revelation of God's word. Yes, it's important that we are filled with and living by the power of the Holy Spirit. But none of these things save you. These things aid you when you say yes to Jesus and you begin walking with him. And that's precisely what Paul was making. The promise of the gospel keeps you from just playing the part. Faith takes away what you deserve. So let's live in a spirit of gratitude because you've been rescued. Let's tell the world that there is a rescue with kindness and grace. Let's take hold of what you've been anointed and appointed for. You've been anointed and appointed to be the people of God in a world so far away from God. And make no mistake, we are not better than anybody else. You've just been rescued because somebody else told you about it. And God is anointing and appointing you now of being salt and light to this city. Let's awaken our souls to the priorities of God. Let's start, stop making excuses of doing what God has already told us to do and let's just do it because he's giving you the power to do it. And let's start advancing because we know that indeed life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know and do nothing. So here's our take home for today and we're gonna pray. Dwell on what's excellent. The reason why I say that is we can disqualify anything that God wants us to do if we just sit on the chair of negative I don't know about that. I got a reason about, oh, did you hear what this person said? I like this way better. And you know what? You can critique, you can, you, can, you can spin something positive, negative, your whole entire life, and you will sit there your whole entire life until you stand before God and God's gonna say, what'd you do? Well, I critiqued my whole life. And he's like, what? So, dwell on what's excellent. Thank God for the gospel of grace. Number two, make this a share week. Commit to sharing with Three people, uh, with one of three people, I've been telling, if you're new, I've been telling people each week, who are your three? Who are three people in your life that, you wanna, that you're praying for, that you're going to show extravagant care for, and that you're ultimately going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who are your three? If you're like, I haven't done this yet, then pray to God right now. Who are my three? Next thing, get your house in order. Be prepared for a second coming, whenever that is. I don't want you walking out here and saying, Andy thinks he's coming next week. I don't know when he's coming. Jesus says we don't know. But we need to be prepared. Number four, stop. Stop comparing. The antithesis of the grace of Jesus is workspace salvation that always looks at somebody else and say, I can't do that. I can't care for somebody or share with somebody or pray in a certain way because they do it better. It's not about them. It's God wanting to move in so, Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, God, for your grace through Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that our faith starts not by anything we do, but what you did on the cross and our response of freely receiving it from you. So, God, I pray for anybody in this room right now that knows that they don't know you, that they would say yes to you this morning. I pray for anybody in this room right now they thought, man, I thought I knew Jesus, but I don't think I do. God, I pray they would make certain of that right now. And for those of you that are in those two positions, whether you know you don't know Jesus or, man, you're like, I've had doubts. I, I want to I be assured this morning. Pray to him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross, for saving me from my sins. I realize I don't deserve it, but I receive what you've done for me. Thank you for raising from the dead. 
and help me follow you now and be obedient. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, you either placed your faith and trust in Jesus this morning, or this morning you were having doubts, and today you've made certain of it. We just make eye contact with me, if that's you. This morning, that's you. You're like, yeah, I made right with Jesus this morning. I made right with Jesus. Thank you. Let's make eye contact. Awesome. Father, I just thank you so much for those that are making right with you this morning. They're placing their full faith and trust in you alone. God, I pray for every single person in this room that we would realize that we are anointed and appointed to share your gospel and grace. I pray that we would be brokenhearted to pray for our city. I pray, Lord, that we would care for people in our circles of influence in our life or just even a random stranger just extravagantly. And God, I pray that we would share the message of the gospel. We love you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, on our website, kenosha.church slash next steps. Uh, you can figure out just different ways to grow in your faith. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.